Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Bottom Line. I'm CJ Wilson with Josh Olsiewicz, and we are in, I would say, a little bit of a spin right now. We're in a uh, little bit of a down market. We've seen some, I guess, sell pressure from some of these massive other things happening in the broad crypto industry. So we're going to discuss a lot of that today. Um, Josh, in the pre-show, we were talking um, just in general about, you know, uh, the, the, the word bottom, right? And uh, what a lot of people want to figure out is how do you find a bottom and what affects the bottom? But I think the that's that's sort of like maybe in the middle of the conversation. At the beginning of the conversation, um, how connected and interconnected is are, are all of us in this in this crazy crypto world in this Bitcoin world? Well, we are stardust after all, CJ. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a good point. We're all carbon-based life forms, right? So even though we want to put other people in silos and say that they're they're DeFi degenerates or they're day traders or they're DCAing, um, we're all holding that same DNA, right? So everybody's uh, got to do the best they can with what they got, you know? Right. But where does that put us though? When you have people that are either bad actors or terrible traders of other people's money. Yeah, so the the tailspin thing, it kind of feels like, you know, that scene from Willy Wonka where he's like, they're in the tunnel, you know, and it gets dark. And uh, he says something like, Willy Wonka says something like, um, where we're going, there's no telling or, or something. I, I'm, I'm butchering it. But <laughs> there's like a, a meme of that. It kind of feels like that because I think a lot of us thought like, oh, Terra UST blowing up, like that was foretold for a long time. It got super big. It reached like, 40 to 60 billion collectively, whatever it was. I don't think people realized at the time the number of like hedge funds and whoever else was involved with that. And and so okay, that blows up and it's like, all right, that's understandable. That's a reasonable. We we all for the most part knew that was going to happen eventually. What we didn't foresee was um this crypto firm 3AC blowing up and sort of taking down every single crypto lender with it. So there's this massive just contagion it's been the word uh, as of late for sure between god i was gonna say so macro should be lifting us right now right inflation is at like an all-time high well yeah in a lot of ways inflation has been lifting the values of a lot of hard assets right so housing costs and i guess that's what was happening the last let's call it 18 months or something like that so we were seeing this big macro tailwind of all these things pushing people into Bitcoin, pushing people into hard assets, pushing people into real estate or collector cards or Rolexes or whatever. We're seeing like a general lift of, I wouldn't even say risky assets. I would just say like like tangible assets, right? Um, the advantage of, of Bitcoin over, like, let's say Apple stock or something like that is you have a chance to take it home and, and have it, right? You can you can possess it in a, in a single signature, multi-signature type of way. You know, have a custody of that Bitcoin. So I think people maybe got a little bit of a false sense of security on Bitcoin itself that, hey, this thing that's not necessarily a little coin with a B on it, but it is a um, it is it is mine. Right. Um, and so those people that I think were buying it responsibly in little pieces with parts of their salary or in substitute for maybe I don't know, the, the, the latte, right? The, the $6 latte. Avocado uh, toast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the avocado toast. Um, you know, they're like just stacking and like not bothered in a way because they weren't participating in a lot of these other like uh, interest lending 
kind of tornadoes. Well, some of them were, and that's that's part of the issue. Is it right. was it, like this happens every cycle. Crypto gets super loud. Everybody fomos in because they finally find out about it, or they think they can get rich quick, or whatever it is. Like why anyone's here, and then they see like this new stuff. Like oh, I can lend this out for one percent. That sounds pretty reasonable. Or I can lend this out for twenty percent in Anchor's case on Terra. Like let's go right. And then there's all these TikToks and all this other stuff. So this stuff like takes off mm-hmm. in in like in bull markets or peak bull markets. Uh, so some of those people certainly are are caught up in all this. Um, but if you're here, <laughs> if you're here for the right reasons, mm-hmm. you very much so are like unbothered by right. by this. You know, you, you can't ignore price. You can't ignore the destruction of like 1.5 trillion in crypto market mm-hmm. cap or whatever it is today. You know, it's not insignificant. And it's hard for TradFi people to like wrap their head around that, you know, like, what do you mean? <laughs> we, we just lost 80% in, in a month and a half, whatever it was, you know? Right. And there's, a, there's other people going, yes, 5,000 sats for a dollar. I'm in, let's party, you know? And it's just weird. It's it, like when you get to the point where you're such a, like a Bitcoin based person that you think of how many sats you can buy per dollar, then you start thinking about how many sats you can earn or just how cheap it is to sort of dollar cost average. But the problem is that, yeah, it's like, it, it is a big gut punch if you're, even if you're just in an accumulate only mode, you know? Um, and one of the biggest accumulate only businesses, I mean, the accumulate only business is mining, right? But mining, in order to expand, to compete for that hash rate, people have been taking out loans, loans against their ASICs, loans against their Bitcoin. Um, so you saw some of these bigger companies recently have to capitulate and dump Bitcoin, you know, uh, instead of hodling it in order to either pay their debts or pay for the orders of machines that they bought or something like that. You know, we have the the S19 uh, XP 140 terahash units are like landing soonish, you know, in July, August, whatever. Those things are going to be on the market hashing, you know, for these big mining pools. So you got to think that when those mining pools bought those devices, they paid like 12, 15, 13, 14, $15,000 maybe for some of those things to get like the first delivery for preferential treatment. But now those, the, the value of the miner, because it's based on a payback period, right? So you buy a $15,000 unit, you're like, oh, okay, it's going to take me 14 months to pay this back. All right, that's cool, whatever. And then, but you don't get it for nine months, right? And you paid 15 grand for it. Now, it, even if you wanted to sell it, it might only be worth nine or 10 grand or whatever max. And uh, Bitcoin's worth way less. So it's like, oh, this weird sort of flexibility in the market that we don't see in other markets because you, you don't necessarily plug in your iPad to earn Apple stock. You know what I mean? So to take yeah. like a, a corollary there, you're not buying a MacBook Pro, plugging it in, you know, just keeping it plugged in and then earning an Apple share every two months or something like that. But that's effectively what you're doing. Um, and if the miner is big enough and they've levered up with enough Bitcoin, then they've had a lot of pain in the last six months. Yeah. I think people hope, I hope people have started to realize like the true scale of some of this stuff as it's become more public, um, just the, the publicly traded miners included, but like you said, you know, they're locking in capital months in advance for something that they don't get delivered on months later. And in some cases in the, the electricity costs, they also lock that in ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's big deposits, right? Yeah. So that sort of gets wrapped into the overhead as well. Um, but 
that is all, all those chickens are coming home to roost. Not only that, but the lenders are calling back these loans, not because they're underwater, but because they're concerned that uh, not everybody's solvent are able to pay them back. So mm-hmm. the miners are ha- having to deal with this like credit crunch right now in an, at an unexpected time and kind of a terrible time in, in mm-hmm. a bear market, right? So they're, like you said, they have to sell additional BTC that they didn't otherwise expect to be selling at this time in order to cover this loan that they had borrowed at a time when valuations were much higher on ASICs, on Bitcoin, right, mm-hmm. in general. And, and some of these places too, to add all of that for miners, in the north in Montana, Marathon got hit with a massive storm and it's, to my knowledge, still basically down and out um, two weeks later. Mm. And they're dealing with that. Uh, and then in the south, in Texas, they had a massive heat wave a week or two ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe it was around consensus time. Yep. Um, and I think some of those miners are dealing with those issues still of, you know, just like dealing with heat down there, you know? Right. Um, so it's, there's all these like perfect storm of factors that miners probably weren't expecting to deal with like at the same time, you know? Right. Because mining has been a, a really for a lot of these bigger companies up only. And then by being able to yeah. go public, cheap, cheap money that they can then redeploy. But it's funny because I was at the mining conference in Austin. I think it was like in late February, early March, something like that. There was a mining conference there. And uh, one of the guys got on stage and was like, listen, it doesn't matter how much money you deploy. It matters how good you are at deploying money. Because if you deploy money irresponsibly, you will get wrecked. And there will always be cycles and you always have to be responsible. And it means sometimes not buying as many miners as you want because you need to have rainy day funds because sometimes you'd rather sell Bitcoin or borrow against your Bitcoin or whatever. But the, the bottom line is, you, you don't you really don't want to um, get stuck in a situation where you're forced to do anything. If you're forced to do something, it's generally against your will. That's the whole point. Like no one's like, hey, Josh, you have to sell at sixty five thousand. You're like, no, it's going to go to one hundred. And they're like, no, you're selling. And you're like, oh, OK, fine. I'll sell in three X profit from where I bought or whatever. Right. So it's usually the opposite. Usually you bought at 50. Now it's 20 and you have to sell. And I think that's where the pain comes in, because it's the emotional unseen pain of unrealized gains, right? Because you could have taken that thing. And I think that's the traders gamblers paradox and the the gamblers ruin uh, thing that if miners aren't uh, thinking at least a little bit in fiat terms, they're going to have a hard time sustaining, you know, like a smooth increase in in hash rate uh, because, you know, it's, it's like a lot of, a lot of negative action in the last couple of months and it's been sustained. It's been downhill for, for six months and while hash rate hasn't really halted yet right hash rate exactly price is, price and hash rate have been divergent hash rate is keep keeps going up and price keeps going down so right. something's got to give here for a lot of miners because they're no longer profitable yeah like i know for me for mining like i'm definitely making less money i'm getting to the point where i'm looking at it going like uh, all right well this isn't too good i don't really like this and a couple months ago i was at a point where like i could probably hodl i don't know 50 to 70% of my revenue, you know, now I'm, I definitely can't because I have to pay the power bills and stuff like that. Um, because, and the one thing too, that's an unseen thing for miners is the power company can suddenly just like decide to do something different. Right. So unless you're yeah. really off grid mining that gas or something, and even then 
if you don't own the well, somebody can just change your price on the nat gas too. So there's just, a, I think there's people simplify things to say, hey, it's easy. You plug in, you make money, that's it. Um, but really there's a couple more layers down and all those layers are, are volatile on their own way to demand or supply or something like that. Um, but I think the financing thing is really the, that's where we're all interconnected the most. And that's really the challenge is how do you responsibly seek financing? And right now we're going to see very few people offering financing because they're still trying to catch their breath from, you know, getting kicked in the nuts uh, from all these other things. But I, I guess that's the question, right? Like what's the true cost of capital in this type of market? And I know when you like people will stake their, their coin somewhere, whatever coin it is, and they'll say, oh, I'm going to get 3%, 6%, whatever. Well, the only reason someone's paying you yield is because they're earning more yield somewhere right. else, right? But the right. fact is that they weren't actually earning that yield because it turns out that the people that were paying the yield, the end payers, whether it's Celsius or 3AC or whoever, um, you know, were... Uh, everyone's so interconnected that when someone borrows money, if they borrow enough from enough people, they can hurt all those people with bad decisions or bad luck or whatever. Um, and, and that's, that's effectively, um, I think taking a lot of confidence out of the broad crypto market overall, it definitely for me, um, out of the ETH and, and NFT people that were, I think a lot more confident than Bitcoiners. Bitcoiners are like preppers. They're always kind of like, Hey, I feel I feel like something bad might happen. So that's why I want to have self-custody. That's why I want to have like a 3D printer. That's why I want to have like a freezer full of food, um, you know, and I think ETH people are like just a lot more trusting of the general things that are going on. So, well, they uh, haven't lived through Gox yet, right? Like Bitcoin people, I like I live through Gox. Like I lived through the Great Depression for, for me, you know, yeah, like I know yeah. what it was like to not have custody of your coins where people to lose everything they had and is are still to it to this day dealing with that that lawsuit right. in, in that it still case. hasn't been settled right we we haven't got to the point where the gox coins still haven't been really well whatever the gox settlement is still hasn't come out right correct yeah that's so still... so i guess that's a good point so this is sort of like version two of that in a way but because there's more people involved in the market now it's a bigger market cap overall it's just way more pain right yeah and we you know we joke we don't really, we don't joke. We say not your keys, not your coins. People think we're joking, <laughs> but right. the people who've, again, have lived through this know exactly what's going on, right? Like if you don't it's, have control, they're not yours. It's end of, That's it. Bottom line. It's a lesson and not a meme. Yeah, it's, it really it's is. It's not just a meme. It's a lesson. It's yeah. like a, it's a lesson that a lot of people bore scars from, from way back when. And that's why they kept saying it. It's not just because it's fashionable, right? Right. There's a reason like I didn't get, I, I didn't lose a, a sat in Celsius or Voyager or BlockFi, right? Right. Uh, I have X hardware wallets in X places, right? <laughs> like there's yeah. a reason that living here and being through it all, I do what I do, you know? And I guess you could have gotten that yield, that sweet, sweet, juicy siren song of a yield. Right. Um, but it doesn't feel so great now, does it? You know, I don't want to be this person who's like, oh, I told you so. But right. Yeah, but that's what it is, though. It's like you have to tell people stuff and then they have to touch the stove and get burned a little bit sometimes. But I think, you know, what happens when you have TradFi people on Wall Street, especially getting really, really, really involved with the lending side of things is they start taking this these big, huge piles of money. And then they do the next thing that you have to do once you've taken the money, which is deploy it. Right. Yeah. So it, it effectively turns all these crypto people that are not necessarily 
big asset allocators into like having so many assets that they have to start allocating it because they're gonna they're willing to pay interest and they're gonna have to pay interest so then they can maybe move the market around and stuff like that and that's where I think a lot of these uh, these companies that have been lending especially on the, like to the miners um, uh, you know they they're taking where they where they putting their revenues right I know like I, I sought out a loan for mining. Um, and someone said, you know what, we really like to I'd like, I was like, yeah, I'd like to borrow like maybe like $2 million, you know, cause that was kind of what I needed to get uh, like above a certain megawattage to get like, so we could switch everything over to immersion. And, um, they're like, yeah, we really try to do deals that are more like five, 10, $20 million. And I was kind of like, you don't even know my middle name. And you're <laughs> like sitting here telling me you want me to borrow more. Like that's super irresponsible, you know, and that's, that's where yeah. the thing to me, I just go, you know what, I'm just going to wait this out a little bit. And when I had started talking to people in, I guess, February or whatever about lending, like really seriously and seeking out deals, I mean, the interest rates were like 15%. That's what they want to charge you. Right. So yeah. it's like, okay, in order for you to cover 15%, um, that's a lot. That's really heavy interest. <laughs> that's um, a predatory credit card right there. Right. And they're like, yeah. well, if you, if you, uh, if you borrow Bitcoin, against if you if you leave your bitcoin with us and we'll pay you against your bitcoin then maybe we'll only charge you like six or seven percent but then you have to pay us back in bitcoin so i was like that's weird because that means if bitcoin's price goes down it's actually better but then it means that they might get wrecked because so like how does that work if you borrow a loan and the company that you're that you borrowed from goes insolvent like who's coming to get your money if they go out of business right that's kind of the thing right. that i kept thinking about and i think we might find out soon uh, with some of these people, because if a lender goes out of business, then someone is going to buy their book of business. Right. And that gets me to the next point, which is back to this, these, the rumor mill and everything like that. At some point, some people can capitulate and then it, then the industry consolidates. Right. So you have these mergers that happen as a result of failures, uh, just like the car business. There's been cars, car, car companies that have merged like Chrysler and Dodge and Jeep over the years because someone sought an economies of scale and they said, oh, these all these are different use cases and service cases. So if I acquire all of them, then they're a better business than they are on their own. And I think that's what we've seen with Meta buying Instagram and WhatsApp and things like that over the years, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Oculus. They're sort of building their own little kind of like architecture for how to connect people. Their own metaverse, if you will. Their own metaverse, <laughs> if you will. How to addict people to to content and social media. Um, so then, in in the in the broad crypto space, uh, Celsius has problems. Nexo sends like a letter, publishes it on Twitter, and is like, hold "Hey, on, we'll buy Celsius, it. Celsius, hold on, hold on." Yeah. So SBF came out. I think he publicly said this, like their books were so bad that even he didn't want to touch them, right? He's, he's, yeah. out, here, he's out here buying Voyager or buying BlockFi or giving them millions and millions of dollars. And he's like, Celsius, no, like we're not going to. The same thing with, with 3AC, like no one wanted to touch that. They, they knew they were double or triple booking collateral in some places. Right. When they looked at the books and it's just like, no, no one's going to bail them out. Right. The same thing with Terra, right? Terra, we knew Terra was a Ponzi on the way down and on the way up and no one wanted to touch that. There was an opportunity to bail them out. Uh, the UST side of things. Right. And these hedge fund crypto guys got together and they said, no. <laughs> there's, well, yeah, there's, no there's, these, there's these people, whether it's Doquan or whoever, that can sort of like wave their hands in the right manner and get other people to trust them and give them money. Right. That's like a thing. But there's actual business people in, in the Bitcoin space, in the exchange space and whatever. And there's some people that go, you know what? There, there is 
absolutely no reward for that risk. There's no reward. I'm not going to take that risk. And I think the con- conservative people that do well at the right cycle times, like Sam uh, SBF, you know, he's obviously got enough money that he can go out there and either and 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 he can he can throw his weight around. You know, he can he can have influence. And oh, by the way, he's also trying to buy Robinhood allegedly. Like, right? These coffers are boundless. You know, apparently, buy everything. Yeah, but like the question is, what's Robinhood actually worth? Right? Like, how much do they make as a company, and how much more could they make? Because when you buy a business, you want to buy something that has upside, right? Or just has so much revenue that you don't give a shit. So, like for me, like as a car dealer, like if I'm going to buy another car business, it's because I want to earn a certain amount more revenue on a monthly basis or yearly basis, so then I can go buy more things or pay off loans faster or, you know, like build facilities or do something like that. So if you go from like in, in, in the Wall Street sense, right, if you go from total revenue of X to 2X, you know what I mean? It's such a big evaluative curve uh, increase, right? It's like a wedge yeah. because, you know, tech companies are, you know, 20 times EBITDA or, you know, 50 times EBITDA or something like that. So if you're acquiring the right businesses, but just by acquiring them, not actually changing anything about the way they run or anything like that, but just by consolidating business, then you turn into like a much bigger pie. And so because they're able to do this off leverage by borrowing money from Goldman Sachs or, you know, JP Morgan or any of these other like really big, you know, uh, you know BlackRock or whatever, they're able to borrow money at a cheap enough rate that they can take kind of risk, like low risk bets on big on big piles because they're managing five trillion dollars they can go borrow 20 billion from i don't know whatever they ask jerome powell for some money and he says okay let's do it or janet yellen or whatever so those guys are able to take bets at a completely different risk ratio than a 20 billion dollar company buying another 20 billion dollar company if a 20 billion dollar company buys another 20 billion dollar company it's it's either going to work or it's curtains and they're out of business, right? There's no like in between ground there because you're, it's basically two animals that are the same size fighting for each other. Only one wins. But when a massive animal like a bear, uh, cause we're in a bear market goes after a squirrel, like what's the worst a squirrel could do to a bear, like maybe bite it in the bits or something like that. But like, there's so many ways the bear can cover the squirrel, you know, that, that like the bears risk factor is a lot lower at that point. And so I think that's what happens in times like this. Sam has more money than a lot of other people. And he has the acumen because he's running an active business uh, that he can take bets at a lower risk ratio to his pile and to his existing business just to try to either consolidate the industry a little bit on his side and centralize his his money funnel or to uh, add products that they don't have yet. Right. And so I think that's what Coinbase tried to do by adding the NFT platform. They're like, oh, we'll do an NFT platform. And people are like, yo, Coinbase, you're not hip. Like, so they didn't go with it. And they spent I, some crazy amount, like $12, $12 million or I don't know what, some, like a lot of money on an NFT platform, like at the wrong time, obviously, right? Yeah, historically, so, they've struggled to find product market fit as somebody who's used them since 2013. Right, but and like, now they're taking away Coinbase Pro. So then it's like someone like you or me that's going to want to do all the super active trading and charting and stuff like that. You're going to look at it like, well, okay, maybe I have to take my business elsewhere. So this is back to the consolidation thing. So there's a lot of players in the industry, whether it's CZ or Sam or whoever, and they just seem to have a little bit more of a field vision quarterback thing. And they're in a two minute drill right now. They have money 
and they can deploy that money. And if they can buy a struggling company and turn it around, add to their bottom line, grow their empire. I think this is the empire making moment for, for guys like that. Um, because, you know, in the same way that, that, uh, you know, Apple or Amazon or whatever has done that in the traditional equities market over the last, you know, 20 years. Um, but it's, 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 it's interesting because with as much fear going around, you wonder if even those guys, like, I guess you, you said with, with, uh, three AC, they were like, ah, we're our Celsius. We're like, ah, we're going to back off this. We're just gonna, you know, we're going to, we're going to keep our plutonium, uh, support, uh exposure down. We don't want to get radiated by this, you know? Yeah, to go full circle, I even saw rumors of Sam looking to buy some Bitcoin miners as well. So, you know, he's years ago, they bought Blockfolio, which was a, a wallet app. He may, mm-hmm. may or may not remember. Um, mm-hmm. And that was kind of a big deal at the time. Like, oh, an exchange buying a wallet app. That's cool. Um, and they've, they've, you know, they've added FTX, FTX US. They've added uh, like lending in, in the exchange itself they, mm-hmm. with Blockfolio, all these other integrations. They've added more and more on like the stock side of things, even bought another, like, I don't know if it was a prime broker or. Yeah, they did. They bought somebody in Europe or something like that. Was it in Germany? They bought okay. some, they bought a whole business. They bought like a whole business so they could do more settlement. I think, like you said, on the equity side to just do traditional yeah. stocks and stuff too. So I think in that sense, Robinhood is one of the only other people that actually competes with them in that regard. Cause most crypto exchanges are just crypto. Right. And so they're not, doing traditional because you have to have different licenses or whatever, probably. So, um, I mean, maybe he's trying to be the, you know, the more consolidated, legit version of that or the BlackRock of crypto or something like that, you know, but I think I think the audiences are aligned between Robinhood and FTX as far as who uses or mm-hmm. would, who would use that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can kind of like springboard FTX's equities side of the trading. Um, but yeah, he's got he's got a lot of money at the right time. He clearly planned for rainy day or mm-hmm. Alameda or whoever over there, mm-hmm. and they're just out here buying everybody. <laughs> I can't say I love it, but at the same time, I think we do need somebody to step in and say, okay, like let's let's catch this knife a little bit before we yeah, go to zero. <laughs> because theoretically, right, you you have someone like Sailor that could buy a, an entire exchange if you wanted to, right? Well, he's I mean, just, he said, no, we're gonna buy more Bitcoin. That's what he right. did a couple days right. ago. Yeah. And so, and this is what's interesting, right? Because as a, let's say a venture capitalist, you have to take, uh, you know, like you have money to deploy. For, forget where it comes from. It could be yours or other people's or whatever. But if you're either a hedge fund or a venture capitalist, you're always looking for ideas to multiply your, your holdings. So I think what's interesting, being a venture capitalist in traditional fiat terms, when you have access to one, two, three percent uh, money is pretty easy because it's easy to find things that outperform three percent it's not that hard right there's lots of things in in all sorts of markets that you know that outperform that um you know you could uh, mass you could do residential real estate development you could do hospitality fast food there's lots of things where you could get more you know depending on how much money you have to deploy but i think the the challenges in the especially the bitcoin space Bitcoin is not a yield based product. It's not something that like people really like people want to spend it and receive it, you know, so it's not really for financialization. There's these different things you can do with Taproot where you can say, oh, well, I'm going to start a, I'm going to start a start a transaction and then, you know, someone else is going to sign it and, and accept it and finalize it. And we're going to do like this daisy chain three of five multi sig or something like that. 
And that's about as tricky as you want to get with Bitcoin because it's, there's limited supply of it. You can't just go ask, you know, somebody for more and they're just going to give it to you or print it or lend it to you or whatever. So it's like a big risk. It's a much bigger risk to spend Bitcoin as an investor because investing is taking risk. That's the upside that you're paying for when you are an angel investor, a series A, series B, whatever, as you do these different layers, you know, so investing in investing fiat money like I've done in startup businesses uh, a couple times, you know, like it's it's amounts that I'm comfortable with, you know, but I see it as a really big like as a direct risk, you know, not quite gambling like, you know, roulette or something. But I do see it as like you're, you're, you're managing the people. So if you invest in somebody's business, you really care about the people. You like what they do. You like their product market fit, all that stuff. Um, and it's easy for me to do that as an individual investor to be very selective or just buy more Bitcoin. Right. Those are the options I have. Like I can either buy a hard asset. I can buy a collector car. I can't really go buy another car dealership because the scale of that's too big. But I can go buy some Apple stock, some Bitcoin, uh, some Amazon stock, you know, a watch. Um, I don't know, something that I think has value. But doing that at a scale of, you know, uh, eight figures, you know, nine figures, that's that's a lot more challenging because the space is still relatively small. And we have these massive drawdowns where like suddenly we go from what a two or three trillion dollar market cap to like one trillion dollars yeah. or whatever or less. And so that's that's really where it gets it gets wacky and you need really skilled people. Um, but in, in, in that scenario, it's inevitable that people are going to do something that either doesn't work and it fails and fails miserably, like we work or whatever, or you're going to have a uh, potentially questionable judgment call to invest with a potentially questionable person or in a potentially predatory business or whatever, because like you, you're, you have to plug money into all sorts of different places. You just have to keep plugging it in. You know, and so you're going to eventually you're going to run across a person that has that has risk. And so people gave it to Do Kwan, people gave it to Celsius, people gave it to, you know, three arrows or whatever. And and because they were like, well, we got an extra 10 or 20 million dollars laying around. I mean, you can't tell me that someone that's done due diligence on Celsius and that platform is like, dude, this is amazing. Like, this is this. This is the best. We should put all of our money in this because to me, like, you know, from 10 feet away, especially after reading the Corey Clipston like takedown threads on Twitter um, where he's just eviscerating these like risky yield things. Um, Alan Farrington's done some good stuff on that. It's like, where does the yield come from? Right. Yeah. So um, I just think this is the big wake up call for a lot of these guys that have never been through a bear market before because they're either too young or didn't have money um, when Mt. Gox was around or didn't have money in the, in the financial crisis of 0708. Um, you know, and this is, this is what we're seeing when those people, they say someone that's maybe, you know, how old do they have to have been? Someone was like in college when in, in 07, they didn't have any money to invest. They didn't really, they only have only seen up for 14 yeah. years. Right? So, so me basically. That's well, me. <laughs> no, but, but like, I'm sure because you're an analytical person, like you've at least read about it and seen yeah. what, why it happened. Right. Yeah. But it's the, but the funny thing is there's like the Michael Burry, super bear thesis, you know, and people are like, oh, like I'm friends with this one guy. He's like, oh, I think ETH could could theoretically go to 100. Bitcoin could go down to like 9000 or something like that. And I'm like, well, that would be really painful for a lot of people. So I took out a loan against my Bitcoin a couple like not months ago, I guess over a year ago now. And so I've been steadily paying it back. But I'm like, I really need to pay that back more aggressively now. I need to like really make sure that my margin call risk is like 
Bitcoin at $5,000, not Bitcoin at $20,000. Because at one point, um, like it went from 40 to 30. And I was like, you know what? I could probably buy it like more Bitcoin right now, or I could protect all the Bitcoin I have by, <laughs> you know, paying down this collateralized loan. And so I did that. And I'm really glad I did because- Well, imagine I, if that was your house. Imagine if you had Bitcoin collateral. Like I want to be a Bitcoin max as much as the rest of everybody, but uh, that's a real concern. If your mortgage is like collateral is in Bitcoin and Bitcoin drops 50, 60%, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. <laughs> Are they going to repo your house? Like if you don't, if you can't pay that, you know? Right. And the thing is too, that, and this is the, this is the thing that people need to realize that if you ever borrow so much against your Bitcoin or enough against your Bitcoin that it forces you to do, to sell other things, you, you might value Bitcoin higher, right? But you can't trade it during that period of time. So you can't even like, you can't even take your Bitcoin and like sell it and then tax loss harvest, you know what I mean? Because it's tied up in this other vehicle. Right. So it's Which like, you should... like, that's like the GBTC tr- issues with the illiquidity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the other thing. Like let's use, like, let's use collateral of something that is illiquid. And the lenders were like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> like, yeah. and nobody realized like, oh, what happens if this stuff all goes down together? Like, isn't there going to be an issue there? Nobody thought to think about that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I think a lot of ostriching, a lot of heads in the sand about that. And I think a lot of us get sort of, I don't want to say addicted, but we get this we get this bias, this survivor bias or whatever, the success bias or whatever, the success hangover. And we're like, oh yeah, well, Bitcoin last year went from, you know, 19,000 to 69,000. And so this year, like, yeah, whatever, it's going to go to 50, but then it's going to go to 200. And then you have all these like super bear, super cycle kind of commentaries on everything. But it's like fundamentally the one thing that Bitcoin needs in order to hit these crazy numbers that people throw out there is it just needs a lot more people to use it, you know? Um, the problem is that you only use something like Bitcoin for two reasons. Number one, you live in an absolutely authoritarian country and you're using it to survive because your money is trash and your life is in danger and you need to escape a terrible situation. You know, let's say like the hyperinflation happening in Lebanon, Turkey, Yemen, uh, you know, crisis in Ukraine, that type of stuff. I should say the war. Uh, so those types of things that's like, okay. You need to you need to bag up your your Bitcoin and, and, and leave. And that's the only thing you can take with you. So it's like that's your that's your real money. Um, but then like there's other people which is like, oh, wow, I could make money doing this. This is a potentially profitable trade for me to hold this or trade it um, and either trade it and get more dollars or trade it and get more Bitcoin. And and it's it's, it's harder to sell that one in the in the current scheme that we're seeing right now, which is that in a really bad inflationary environment uh, where uh, dollar is worth less, Bitcoin is not matching the dollar's 8% CAGR annually or monthly right. or whatever. Right. And we have to, and I, what I mean by that is like the the cost of goods increase, not necessarily the CAGR, like the dollar is becoming more valuable, but things are costing yeah. more. So if, you've got, if, you've got, if you have a Bitcoin or a house, the most liquid thing is the Bitcoin. So you could just go on an exchange. It's 24 seven, 365. You know, you can sell it if you need to. Right. And yeah, and that's certainly people have done, regardless if they think it's risk on risk off, if they think it's like going to be the future, right. If they need to sell it because it's liquid, you can do that. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes 
we see the craziest moves on the weekend. Like we're coming into a holiday weekend now uh, with this, this momentum towards the downside. So there's certainly a high possibility that we see some crazy stuff over the, the holiday weekend in the U.S. because it's typically a low liquidity, mm-hmm. low volume. There's, there's not a lot on the order book. Things can happen, right? And locked out of fiat rails. Like, so yeah. the thing is that I was, I don't know if we talked about this last time or whatever, but the perfect storm is down entering the weekend with a Monday bank holiday. So you can't do any fiat wires. So people have to then send Bitcoin on chain or through lightning in order to liquidate something, to get paid something to pay off that loan. I think maybe there's a lot of people that did what I did, which is they got far enough away from their their margin call ratio on this last drop or a couple drops ago or whatever. They sort of like said, okay, I'll eat top ramen for a month, but I need to pay this loan down because it's the more responsible thing to do than to carry debt into a bear market that can be marked to market. And so just really quick, like, because I think this is important to address um, and maybe we can use this as a clip later. Uh, it's totally fine to take risk with whatever assets you have. You just have to understand that if someone else can value your assets, you know, independently from you valuing them then they're going to if they're doing it to protect themselves. Because the people that are lending money on assets, whether it's stocks or anything else, they're they're borrowing that money from somebody else too. So they, they're selling it to you at a cost. So they're screwed if you don't pay them back. Um, and so the worst thing that can happen to anybody is their capital collateral gets liquidated and, and then the market bounces immediately afterwards. That's absolutely the worst thing that can happen. Because then you have the pain of losing your Bitcoin at the bottom of the V Right. And you get you get to watch it rocket out 20, 30 percent immediately after your liquidation. Uh, that's just the total like depression scenario. Um, so the best thing you can do is like always make sure that you have some space or like something you can move. Right. You can either you can either change the collateral ratio because you can add Bitcoin to the collateral needed um, or you can add cash to the loan to, to create the gap that you need. Or you can just not borrow money against Bitcoin in the first place and just do stack only. And I think the the people that have been stack only, um, the the shrimp, I guess, uh, there's like the nomenclature of like whale, shark, uh, dolphin, fish, octopus, fish. <laughs> shrimp or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So the people, the, the people that have just absolutely, I would say just killed it. And I'm so proud of them this, this last six months, they went from 0.01 to 0.1. Right. They went from 0.1 to 1.0 because that's where the DCA strategy has just crushed it. Because if your goal is to just get a Bitcoin to be a whole coiner for you to, let's say you're hundred dollars a week, like your hundred dollars a week is buying way more Bitcoin this week than it was, you know, 21 weeks ago. And yeah. so as a result of that, the pe- that's and that's the mindset that survives. That's the roach mindset that can survive any <laughs> scenario because you're not taking any risk. You're, you're taking a nominal amount of money. You're going bloop, 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 bloop like that. And I think those people are going to really win long term if they can stick with that and habituate that. Um, The problem is that when people are smoking hopium all day and they're like, dude, like plan B said we're going to go to a jillion, um, you know, and then you're like, well, you know what? I don't really have enough money for this Lambo, but I'm going to buy it because I have I'm rich because Bitcoin. I have five Bitcoin and Bitcoin is going to be a million dollars one day. So I can buy the Lambo now. That's where people get wrecked. That's what it is. So it's like the ICO 2017 when Lambo meme is actually the most destructive thing. The hopium 
is the most destructive because that suckers people into taking yeah. bets that they can't cash. You know that they I, I should, they, they can't protect. They can't protect that bet. You know. One one last thing I'll say is yeah. that illiquid collateral is what you're talking about, and that's how all these crypto lenders got got waxed. They weren't liquid enough when they needed to be. Couldn't meet uh, debts, assets, liability, whatever. One thing that's still on the books is this. I think it's Celsius. Uh, allegedly, I'll say allegedly. Um, they have a loan on WBTC. Their liquidation level is thirteen six. Oh, so people are like trying to snipe that and take it to that level. Well, that's the thing. You know, again, like if, if it's public, talking- that's the problem with on-chain data, right? If shit's public, then someone can go after it, and and that's really where the Robin they hoodies- can they can top it off if they have it, right? If they don't, and we get to that level. That's twenty four thousand BTC that gets mar- that gets auctioned off, you know, and pushes us lower, right? And yeah, and you bet your bottom dollar, I'll be watching that if we get close, because so will everybody else, and they will know exactly. They'll just say, "All right, just let it go," right? Right. If they're not going to pay it off, and we know it's going to get liquidated, let it happen, and we'll deal with uh, the price after that. But I think we have to leave it there. Yeah. So if uh, if if we're able to have, our, let's call it our March twenty twenty, you know really sharp V down and then at least that becomes a bottom and we can, we can rip out of there. So that's, that's the, that's the, the idea behind one of these, the, the last capitulation. That's, fear, that's the fear feels parabolic on the sentiment scale, but it doesn't feel like we've like really plunged down just yet. So no, there's, yeah, there's not enough tears. We need more, yeah. no, more pain and more tears, but I hate to end it like that, but we're going to have, we're going to have many more good days in Bitcoin in the future. So that's, sure. we just have to, we just have to be responsible yeah. and not over leverage and not take too many risks that we can't, you know, we can't write, can't write checks that our body can't cash. There right? you that's go. just like Top Gun. So, all right. Well, thank you for joining us on the Bitcoin bottom line, Josh Olsiewicz and CJ Wilson signing out.